brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Prep Radio on time on target episode 401. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, man. Um, very excited to have you in studio. You know, it's funny. I should have asked you this before we actually started recording. How do I pronounce your last name? Depazzi. Depazzi. Okay. Check. I, even though there's no, it's because it, I thought it was uh, Depati or Depati because of I don't see an S there. So I guess I'm just yeah, off. It, it is a French name. It's Depazzi, but uh, got you. I'm an English fellow, so. It's- Butcher it a little and yeah, Depazzi. That works, man. So in studio with Jeff Depazzi, retired Canadian Spec Ops vet, Joint Task Force Two assaulter. Um, and I was originally going to say before we met with Jeff, I was like, oh, this is the first time we're having a Canadian Spec Ops guy on. But you reminded me we've had Wes Kennedy on. Um, but yeah. first from his background. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, of course, we'll let Jeff get into the details of it. He uh, knows much better than I do, but just like us, Canada has a couple of different special operations units, uh, but we're really excited to have you on because you are only the second Canadian we've had on the show from the Canadian soft community. And, um, you know, I, I was telling you before the podcast is I think most Americans don't realize the significant contribution that Canada has made. Um, I remember reading somewhere that Canada has participated in like every single peacekeeping operation <laughs> that we've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um and, of course, you guys have been deploying overseas in the War on Terror. Um, we did a story on this website about a can- – uh, yeah, it was the longest uh, the yeah. longest sniper kill in history. Was that Rob uh, Furlong? Well, that – No, that no, was, no, no. Uh, that was an old record. That was Okay. It was broken again in Iraq, like, last year. Um, so we did a, a story on that. Um, but, uh, no, I'm excited to have you on. Thanks for coming in studio. I know it's a long haul for you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. For sure. Oh, I was wondering if you could, I know, you know, there are certain details, you know, you know you're probably not going to be able to share, but I was wondering if you could talk to the audience a little bit about your unit, um, about, you know, their mission and what they do. And just to, uh, informationally wise is informing people of, you know, what you guys do and, you know, what their, their unit's contribution has been to the war on terror. Okay. So I would think uh, just to get the more into the broad brush, we like to liken ourselves to Delta or Keg. That's who we kind of run with as much as we can just to get the conversation going. But uh, yeah, we're the uh, national interest uh, unit for Canada. Anything foreign or domestic we take care of that uh, is above and beyond. Uh, And yeah, the war on terror, we've been there since 2001 uh, slugging it out with you guys. It's been a good long fight. And uh, now we're in Iraq right now doing some stuff off and on and yeah, that's where we're at. So, I mean, you guys are definitely a part of the coalition and have been since the beginning. Yeah, uh, in different forms. You know, it shows up a little differently. going to get closer there. <laughs> oh, all righty. Yeah, it, uh, you know, different names, different whatever, but uh, we try to work with the Americans as much as we can. That's, that's our boys, you know what I mean? We're a lot more uh, intertwined than people think. Can you talk a little bit then about the, the history of the unit? Like, how did JTF2 come about? Um, why was it created? Um, was it created around the same time as our counterterrorism units? No, we're definitely young, comparatively. Mm-hmm. You guys had already been established for 15, 20 years in different capacities, you know, developing into where you are. No, ours started around 93, really got traction with the handover from the RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they, uh, it started to go beyond their capability. And really, it was about the pool of people to choose from. The RCMP's small organization where the military had a much bigger pool to draw and select people from. So we took over from them. 
which kind of leads into an interesting culture, uh, soft culture. Obviously, you guys are very familiar with the word soft culture, but I don't think people really fully grasp how that helps define these units and defines the men inside of it. And that's one of the huge portions that keeps it different from other units because we're allowed to have our culture. We're given that flexibility. And for us, a little bit of that came from the the RCMP, which are cops. So it kind of led into an interesting transition from cop culture, even though it was emergency response unit and the terrorist unit for Canada at the time, CERT, uh, it, there was some growing pains moving over towards the military side, which also allowed us to exist in a silo for a bit and really get our legs. Um, for us, it's really good because we got great partners. We work with the Five Eyes, you know, uh, the States, Britain, Australia, who had already established, you know, SAS is our very old units, uh, Delta and Dev, not as old, but still had years of kicking it before we got there so that really helped grow quickly you referenced the uh the pool of people that the unit's able to draw from and i i uh, i don't want to rely on canadian stereotypes but i have to imagine that in canada there are young people who grow up shooting uh in the outdoors um, certain parts of the country. I mean, it's very austere living. Mm-hmm. I mean, are those the types of people who are drawn towards a unit like this? <sighs> yes and no, of course, <laughs> right? Uh, you get lots of people who love that and thrive in those environments, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not from cities. We do have right. folks from cities. It does happen. <laughs> <laughs> they find their way in. As far as, like, training and everything is concerned, I mean, Canada must have a lot to offer for the unit. Also, very rugged, difficult training, but... Yeah, pretty much everything we need other than desert is there. We do lots of our desert stuff down here in the the States and Southern California and places like Texas and things like that. But, we have yeah, we have our mountainous terrain, all our uh, maritime counterterrorism. I mean, we got tons of coastline. Mm -hmm. We got the Arctic. We got temperate forests. We got snow... You name it, we got it other than desert, really. And even that, we have a little patch if we desperately need to train on a, you know, in a hurry. The uh, I was wondering also if you could explain a little bit about the difference between uh, your your unit, you're, you know, describing it as, you know, it's the, the go-to counterterrorism unit for the Canadian government. Um, what's the difference between them and the other uh, CSAR, the big, because um, they do, if I recall correctly, they do FID, and direct action, or maybe they have different acronyms. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. So CSOR, Canadian Special Operations Regiment, they uh, they came about in the uh, mid-2000s, or I think 2006, 2005. I apologize. I don't know the exact date they started up. Uh, as part of starting up CANSOFCOM, which was our own command mm-hmm. startup, and they're very young. So their, their scope is they're still finding their legs. You know what I mean? They're plugging a hole wherever they can uh, because we take care of DAs if we need to. We take care of all the similar things, but then we go above and beyond. So normally a a mission file will come through us and then we'll figure out, okay, do we want this? Does this fit our criteria? And then we'll move it on down to them. Uh, But, you know, again, broad brush, counterterrorism, things that really affect foreign policy, those, those are the things that go to us. The more like technical operations. Yeah, yeah. Any intelligence gathering stuff and that things of that nature. Not that they don't gather intelligence. It's just it's just dis- different level, that's all. You th- do you see it evolving as sort of like a relationship between the Ranger Regiment and Delta Force here in the States? I would personally liken them a little bit more to the ODAs. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I would, like from my experience, that's where I'd put them. There was a time when, you know, when the, the whole Kansoffcom and CSOR and everything was conceived, yes, they would be more like the Ranger Battalion, which one, I'm not sure which one's attached to JSOC. Uh, well, any of the three could be. Any of the three could be. At any okay. given time. Yeah, and it's always similar to that, that, that augmenting force for all the, really to grow the force, right? Mm-hmm. Blocking forces, cutoffs, things of that nature. And it, it, was, it was that, but we're so small relative to say the Americans, our SF, our entire SF, including the entire command and 
the air assets that are attached to it are smaller than any one of your tier one units alone. You know what I mean? So what ended up happening was there's just way more work for them. So they got to diversify. Um, yeah, I'm sure everybody knows everybody. Uh, the our, our special operations command, like the officially published numbers, it's like close to 80,000. I mean, that's like the size of the British military. <laughs> but that's bigger than ours, including our reserve elements. So yeah. like just that, that we were talking about the pool to draw from, you know, even at that, it's, it's still small pools. Now, I know there's, uh, again, some things we probably won't be able to discuss, but as far as the selection process to get into JTF2, it's fairly similar to probably what we have in the United States, or are there some key differences? I think a lot of people... We, we pride ourselves. We say it's a scientifically mm-hmm. created one <laughs> where some of the other ones stem from the older SAS models, you know, long rucks and that, things of that nature. I do believe when it's all said and done, it picks a very similar product. Uh, it's just how you go about it, how you look at it. Ours is much shorter. It's uh, seven days for the, the, uh, the meat of it, the, the selection portion. Our assaulter course is up over 10 months now though and just because you go through selection doesn't mean you're right. in the stalls of shoe in you know what i mean you still got 10 months every day under the microscope to prove yourself and so. and when did you actually go through selection I, uh 2010 okay. i uh, went through selection and then did my year my uh we call it the special operations assaulter course and uh yeah and then i was kicking it for about eight years there very cool Oh, after you went through selection, where did uh, where did it take you? You ended up in Afghanistan, I take it. Uh, yep, yeah. uh, Iraq, uh, many other little places around. We called it the global engagement strategy, working with other soft units mm-hmm. all over. There was that period where the West started to slow their efforts in Afghanistan and Iraq at kind of almost the same time ish. And a lot of the soft of the world had to figure out, okay, well, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, where are we going? Where, how, how's this looking? You know, let's, let's get some, you know? Uh, so there was a little bit of a quiet period. Uh, something else we do, we do CPP for the prime minister and our governor general in really hot countries where their, their, uh, their close protection just can't to operate. To help out. Yeah, they don't have the scope. Like, it, it, we never like to think of ourselves as the augmenting force, but we you know, we make sure that they can do their job there. So there was some of that kind of stuff and dabbling all, you know, finding work. That's what you do. Yeah. I, I have to imagine it's kind of, uh, at least like on the American side, it's like the commanders kind of want to get their hands and know a little bit of everything. Yeah. That's the beauty of a soft operator. You know, he's looking for work. That's there were results driven organizations and then we pick those people. So they don't, you know, they don't want to sit stagnant at any level, any level at all. Uh, we're just in a position where we can, right from the ground up, start to look for that as well. You know, yeah, obviously the commanders are doing their things all the way up to the political level. Everybody's looking for that work. But what really ends up happening is at the political level, they don't, none of them understand the full scope of the work that a tier one or tier two unit can actually do, you know, they don't know that, Oh yeah, I can plug and play that guy there and there and there. Uh, it's only from the ground up. Do you get that kind of knowledge? So, yeah. And you guys stayed pretty busy in Iraq also, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not going to go too deep into our Iraq, uh, sure. time there, but, uh, can has been there since the, uh, the beginning, uh, working side by side with the allies and, the, the Pesh and all those characters. That's cool. Yeah, I'm surprised. I never crossed paths with Canadians while I was over there. A bunch of other people, but uh, no, it's interesting. And, and you know, we were talking a little bit before about how one of those CSAR guys was unfortunately killed in a uh, accident going through the checkpoint. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that's how you know we find out, or the public finds out that you know these people are over there. And uh, it, it's sad in that regard. You know, you wish that our, our public had a little bit more engagement, a little bit more commitment <laughs> in knowing where our troops are and what they're doing. It, it's that balance of Secrecy what they, yeah, versus, what they yeah. need to know. It's not that any official or any 
member of the military doesn't want the public to know, you know, there's yeah, the yeah. military, the but you military, don't want to put a bullseye on it. You don't want to put a bullseye. Yeah. You, you just can't. The nature of the missions, you need that secrecy to, in order to engage the, the bad guys properly. And now, you know, ISIS is kind of starting to see their final days and all that, but the next guys that'll pop up will be even harder to find. Yeah. And if someone knows you're coming, you lose it all. You lose the surprise, you know, the very basic element of soft surprise. Well, I suppose it goes back to what you were saying that, you know, it's a small community in Canada. Um, but I get the impression that the Canadian government and the Canadian military really keeps you guys on the download. Like it's really under fly under the radar. Yeah. I would say relative to other units. Yeah. The tier one of the units, we definitely do. I think it has something to do with our domestic, uh, mandate. Um, but I think it's just a Canadian way in a couple ways. The, the kind of just not saying out there that everyone else isn't <laughs> quite professionals, but that's really like our, our motto is facta non verba. Like, so right from our Canadian culture into our military's culture, and then you add in like the layers of secrecy needed up to the tier one level, then you get a pretty quiet unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I would say I'm the first person that's kind of, as a civ- ex-assaulter civilian starting to talk about the unit, I, I think we, we should sell the brand in some way as, you know, balancing what, again, what I can say versus what right. I can't. Uh, but I think people should hear it. It's funny you say that, though, because I feel like every branch of the military, every branch of special operations has this secrecy um, slogan is it the deed not the glory? Is that the seals, or is that just general? Know. I've heard it many <laughs> times, but you know, you hear it from guys who do put out books who are very public with their life story, and you know, I wouldn't say are secretive in the same capacity that you're talking about. Yeah, well, say take a book. Say if I did write a book, which I won't. I'm not a great writer, so I'll just avoid neither, that. To be fair, though, neither are a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys hire. A lot of these guys hire a ghostwriter. It's there. I mean, some of them are open and and will say it. Some aren't. They'll say like it's my stories, but it's not. It's not their book. They're hiring a, hiring a ghostwriter. Yeah, they're hiring a guy like Jack Murphy sometimes. <laughs> I, I've never done read another book, but you Jack. could. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we make something happen. Yeah. We'll talk offline. Talk about movie rights. Yeah. <laughs> well, it. Uh, you know, as soon as I, I'm not sure what the what it's called when you put out a book and then it's vetted by the yeah, government. Yeah, like a public review. Board, a public kind of, review kind of board. Yeah, there. where. Lots of our ops are still considered off the book, so most of it wouldn't really get out. And, you know, my personal life's not that exciting, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And like you said, it's a a matter of maintaining that balance. Um, Of course, there's a a deep need for military secrecy. You know, in special operations, say the key, the key to special operations is surprise, speed and violence of action. Well, if you take away surprise, you're kind of screwed. It doesn't matter how how violent you are, how fast you are. If you don't have surprise, you guys can't really do your jobs. But um, at the same time, there has to be like some sort of public engagement. And you say, you know, the especially we live in a democracy. So you want public support behind these units or behind these missions. Well, that, I think that's where the importance of uh, guys like me, ex-members such as yourself can start selling that brand in a way that's not viewed as propaganda. You know, we always right, we have right. to balance that too, right? Governments are not allowed to even brag about all the good work. I remember in, uh, in Afghanistan when I showed up, this is back in my uh, paratrooper days, I wasn't even aware of how big the impact was that the coalition had there. There was something like, by the time I showed up in uh, 08, there was like 6,500 new schools. Women women going to school in Afghanistan, like that's unheard of. The Afghani, the dollar rose, I think like 40 cents American, which is huge because it was worth like nothing. And, and the news is more focused on the hot stuff, right? You right. know, people getting blown up and all that. And they're, they're, they're not pushing this stuff out saying, hey, look at the good work and the militaries of the world are not able to be like, Hey, look at all the good work we're really, really doing here. Cause it balances on that kind of propaganda side. You know, it's, it's so unfortunate too, that like good news just doesn't go viral. That's true. Like when I think of the big outrageous military stories that have gone viral and I've mentioned it on the show, it's like that guy throwing a dog off a cliff. You don't see a viral story about these guys, you know, playing sports with these kids, educating them, that type of thing, because 
just unfortunately, it's like the outrage culture we live in. Exactly. For all of us in the Northeast. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's just America. It's probably everybody in the Western, you know, civilization. Yeah, the almost daily occurrences of real heroics that go on that could, to me, are way more interesting, personally, than uh, the few odd, upsetting incidences, you know, the dog off the cliff and all that, you know, th- those things happen. They're, 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 we're talking about organizations that are a million people moving around, doing all these jobs, and, like, you get a couple bad apples doing one bad thing, that's what they, they're going to yeah, cling to. Uh, yeah, because, like I was saying, we, we just can't say every good thing we're doing, you know what I mean? Like, I, back to Afghanistan, we were, uh, the coalition, us specifically, I can't remember what year it was, but we were planning our pullout uh, as a country with real boots on the ground. And, like, the women were, like, holding on to you. Like, don't go. They, they know what's coming, right? We leave. They're back to, like, iron The rule. Stone Age. Back to the Stone Age, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a fine line there. And, you know, you don't get the public's not hearing that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, it's absolutely true, and I, I've uh, I've seen both sides of it. You know, working as a journalist and also having been in the military myself, and and it it made me mad back then, and it and it still does today. It still bothers me that the the news media is often fixated on the negative things that happen, um, or those like, like I said, like a soldier getting killed. Suddenly, that's when you hear about the military. You don't hear about you know. Uh, you know, Jeff starting a, uh, a a soccer league with kids in Afghanistan like that never that's never a headline. Right. Um, as a journalist, you know, working on the other side of it, I always have these uh, ideas and I, and I have written positive stories about the military for sure. But then you're like, OK, I just worked on this really dark story. I want to write something about the guys doing good work. And then, like, you get a phone call by, like, you know, some girl crying that she was, like, sexually assaulted or something. You're like, fuck. <laughs> like, and I, not to, I, w- I would not say that to her, but it's just it, 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 you end up getting pulled into those kind of stories because well, it's like you can't really it would feel unethical to turn a blind eye to it. I'll put it that way. For sure. That, that, that's the thing. You said as a journalist, you got to do that. You know, you, I. I expect both sides to be reported just maybe a, yeah. a little more equality yeah. on the two yeah. sides yeah no i agree and can by the way canada is very different in that respect with you know how we have the fcc here in america i know like in canada for example you have to pay play a certain amount of canadian artists and i do think they might have something similar to what we had called the fairness doctrine where you do have to report two sides right where in america I, you, you don't have a, that obligation uh, uh, this is the world according to Jeff right now. Okay. But I think our media is way less partisan. It, they try, you know, there is a left and a right and all that kind of, it's a little more convoluted in Canada because we have many more parties. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's some, you know, bias, but I think they do pretty good at trying to give both sides. But I, it so can be I've, tough, you know, like I, it really can. I've even heard, for example, Canadian guys say, what is uh, you, and I'm sorry, this might be outside your world, but what is your version of NPR, which is like the public radio for Canada or public media for Canada? I, it would probably be CBC. If CBC C-C is exactly radio. what I'm thinking of. And I've heard Canadians themselves say the CBC is way less biased than, for example, we have like NPR here, which people, you know, accuse of being left wing. Uh I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree, CBC. I think CBC is more of a left-side radio. Gotcha, okay. Uh, they do, you know how there's like segments throughout the day? Mm-hmm. We'll say just their radio, nothing to do with TV or anything. They do have the polar opposites in there a little bit, but I think they tend to be more one-sided. Usually in the world of like, uh, you know, arts and uh, media, and s- not always, but you sure. tend to kind of cater to those minds, uh, those natural tendencies of that side of the left values a little bit i think gotcha sounds like a little bit more of a saner media landscape (laughs) than here in the united states um okay so let's talk then a little bit about kind of after your military (laughs) career uh you were mentioning before you did a year in the reserves training guys kind of winding down um what uh, was it just time for you to retire or did you make a decision to get out yeah Well, like a lot of good stories, I met a girl. It happens. <laughs> it happens. And of course, it rocks your world when it's good, right? So yeah. I was actually <clears throat> teaching on a free fall course down around San Diego, and we got winded out. So uh, 
we took the weekend off and we went and rented a beach house around uh, Mission Beach, uh, Pacific Beach. And, uh, you know, we went out partying and the next day we're out for breakfast and we, uh, we meet these girls and like literally fall in love with this woman, Jessica. Th- this young lady here? <laughs> yeah, that, that one there, yeah. And uh, that day she told me she she couldn't handle a military lifestyle. So her, <laughs> at, least, at least she knew that. She knew it. She was honest, you know, yeah. uh, put it out there day one. Thank you. Uh, she comes from a military background though. Her dad was a Vietnam vet. Her grandfather was a member of OSS, you know, so she had a kind of an idea of what to expect. And that kind of was the catalyst for the transition out into, you know, the civilian world, like where, where to put your purpose now. Oh, that's great. Hmm. It's great. No, it's great that both of you knew that and like had a, a cognizant understanding, <laughs> a, a deliberate plan going forward. Yeah. It, well, for me, it was interesting because I didn't uh, I didn't see it coming. I thought I was going to be a gunfighter for the rest of my life. I didn't. I I loved what I did, you know, and so <laughs> put the plans in motion. <laughs> no, that's cool. So you got out and I uh, and now you're starting to go into uh, you know the the private sector. Uh, what are you trying to describe a little bit about this company that you started up? We're, we're talking about it a little earlier. Yeah, so the SpecialForcesExperience.com. Uh, we were putting on uh, the ultimate male experience. It's, it's for men. Um, it, it, it's been a slow burn. It's been a couple years of developing exactly what it is. So a tricky part for guys like me who put, you know, their blood, sweat and tears into the military, as you know, when you come out is like, Hey, how do I repurpose? I have all these skills, but they only really look good to governments and private contractors and security usually. Right. Uh, yourself, you took a different route. Um, but it's, it's about the traits of the person, you know, and vectoring those properly. So we started talking about, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, I, uh, I have a couple small businesses. I own some real estate in a co-working place. And we dabbled with that. But always on the back burner was this project that originally, actually it was from Jess, she called it a man camp. And I laughed out loud because I had this vision of dudes cooking s'mores and throwing axes, you know. Drinking <laughs> beers. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, God, no, I can't do that. It was like, I literally laughed out loud. It just wasn't me. And, but that started developing into, okay, what can we do? You know, we started asking men, we asked women, what, uh, what are men missing in this world? You know, we have all this ancient, uh, technology in us, you know, our limbic system, our, all our senses in a man, there's a lot of it there, like designed for certain purposes that are really male. And in the modern world, it's hard to nurture those. Doing physical things with your hands. Doing physical things with your hands, uh, uh, real like that sense of protecting you know uh just just literally what our hormones and our dna was designed to do for the hundreds of thousands of years that got us to here and now you know after the the kind of big feminist push and all that i think it's rubber banding back and men are like okay well i I don't want to be a stay-at-home dad and you know where do i fit in and where do i fit in and not that there's anything wrong with the stay-at-home dad it's just it's about nurturing those male qualities, and that's where we started developing the process. I was watching the video uh, that you have with the chessboard, which I'm going to link to here in the article. And, I mean, it's awesome. People are really going to dig this. And I do think that there is such a demand for what you're doing. Uh, you don't know how many times that we've gone to events in Vegas where a lot of guys in our audience will say to me, my one regret in life is not joining the military, you know, because they just had something that got in the way of them doing that. And they kind of relive it through this, but I think they would love to relive it in the or live it in the experience that you're talking about. And I think some of these guys aren't stay-at-home dads. They're also guys who work in the corporate world. And I think working in the corporate world in some ways is like the antithesis of what you guys have done in special operations. Um, and what I mean by that is in special operations, from what I see from you guys, you do get rewarded for being a, you know, the strongest guy, the alpha male, as they say. And in the corporate world, unfortunately, it's a lot of like, who's the best at kissing the boss's ass, you know? And I think these guys want to actually have that primal thing that you're talking about in their life. Well, I I think what you're talking about is a very natural male tendency, which is to seek hierarchy, to see where you really fit into it. I don't mean like come in as the male boy and move up to manager and up to CEO that that's, kind of a 
a representation of it, but it's not truly seeing where you fit in the pecking order. And uh, yeah, this is something, the process is designed to give men that answer to that question. Where do I fit in? It's many things. Um, It's a psychological assessment. It's a physical challenge like no other, but it definitely can answer that question of, okay, could I have gotten anywhere close to it? You know, and as you know, I I mentioned earlier, you know, that even with uh, Joint Task Force 2, it's a seven-day selection, but you still have 10 months on course. And then, as you know yourself, Jack, you don't don't just show up and not produce every single day. So it's just a little nug of it, you know what I mean? Like, the boys hold you accountable every day. When you're beside someone who depends on you, like their life depends on you, even if it's in training or prepping, they're holding you accountable all the time. So yes, it's a really good nug. Um, but I, I wouldn't ever want to say that in the eight days, you'll discover that you could have made it as it were. I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's easy to uh, dismiss or make fun of like the, the concept of like, what does it mean to be a man in the modern world? Um, you know, it, it I think there's some people who say, well, you know, men need to stop being snowflakes or whatever. But I mean, there's a, there's a real question there about, you know, in a modern world where labor has largely been feminized, where, where do you fit in? As you said, we, we, we've evolved over hundreds of thousands, millions of years to do certain things. And I think that sitting behind a computer all day, which is a big part of my job, um, you become like very like overly introverted. Because yeah. you're not like learning new skills, you're not doing things with your hands, um, you're not being physical, and uh, there, I think like psychologically, emotionally, um, and even just uh, you know physically, your body like you you just miss those things. Um, so I, I don't think it's something that I would dismiss out of hand. I think I think there is like some sort of role or, or some sort of conversation that needs to happen in the modern world, of, like. Because we can't, we're not all going to become like male feminists, you know, wearing loafers without socks on and reading Foucault under a tree. Like that is not the future of men writ large, right? You got to, you got to find some sort of like balance or something in between the extremes. Exactly. Uh, I will say, I do believe in my heart and I may get pushback for this, that the SF as it is in the West is really the last, like it's the last safe hold of where a man can nurture everything that from his cells up makes him a man yeah, yeah, and he can be there and it's nurtured. So not everyone wants to take that route. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with stay at home dad or loafer guy. You yeah. know, there, there's, but if it works for him, if so it works it. for him, I, I just, I feel, and as long, uh, along with my cadre, you know, there's a, there's a few things that are missing a few checks in the box, if you will, that, guys are just not able to experience. And, and it's tough, you know, you live in a city or something, it's hard to find these things. So, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's a, obviously a big debate, a big talk, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, a culture wars. Well, I had a, uh, I had a professor when I went to college. Um, she was a self-described Marxist, uh, but she had this great comment about the military because what you were saying is it's like the last like bastion of, of masculinity. She said the military is a heterotopia. Mm-hmm. It's like a utopia for like the heterosexual male to like go and do man stuff. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I use that all the time, the heterotopia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, first she can thank them for doing their job and giving her the, the platform and the safety to be able to say it. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would argue like the entire of the military, obviously it's a big beast, sure, right? Yeah. You know, like, uh, but definitely, I would say once you kind of get up in those tier one, tier two areas, you you know, specialized units like your airborne units and stuff like that, where there's not a lot of uh, female presence. Yeah, they're definitely safe havens for a lot of that male tendencies. And there's a part of our society that I, I think really like um, admires those units because of that. But then there's another part of our society, and this goes back to frankly, a lot of people who work in the media, they hate it. Because they see that as it's the last part of society that needs to be domesticated. Like, they need to grab these guys and get the collar on them. What do you think you're doing, cowboy? Yeah, they <laughs> kind of view you like a dog on a leash almost. And At best. The thing is, is uh, you guys know this. The world's just not there yet. 
The, yeah. the world, yeah. there is there is very truly bad people, evil people wanting to do evil. Snakes in the grass. Yeah. They're, out they're, there. they're just, they're there. The world is not a utopia yet. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's better and it's getting better. It's just not there yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's when uh, we had uh, Dale Comstock on the other day who served in Delta, and uh, and he made this comment that uh, it sounds very boisterous on one hand, but he said, look, America needs people like me. Uh, I can't disagree. I mean, America and Canada need the kind of guy who will run into gunfire. Now, hopefully we don't need that person every single day to do that, but there are going to be times where we're facing extremely difficult uh, situations and, you know, you are going to need men like that. Uh, you know, the most obvious example, of course, is like, you know, the guys who stormed the beaches in World War II. I mean, if that hadn't happened, I shudder to think what the world would look like today. Exactly. Exactly. You know, just be thankful that these men are able to be rooted out and then given a funnel to go down where they're, uh, their energies and efforts and abilities are vectored for yeah. good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. And rather than have like some sort of like out of control, um, you know, like apocalypse now type crap going on, but we, instead you have a selection process, you have a military unit that exists within a democracy with uh, congressional oversight or parliament oversight in your guys's case. Um, with ethos and code, right, right. You know, where you honor something and then it can be used for good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how is this, uh, how is this thing progressing? I mean, leaving the, the culture wars behind for a second, how, how is this uh, company, the special forces experience evolving? What do you have planned for people who enroll in this? Well, I, uh, it's hands down the ultimate experience for a male who's not going to go through that, uh, who's not going to join the military, not going to join the military. So for those who don't know, like, Hunting another human being gives you like a real feeling of power and it is a rush. Uh, so you're probably not going to get that legitimately outside of the military. <laughs> I would hope. You know, <laughs> wake, the guy, wake the guy up at five in the morning holding a crossbow. You start cu- counting down yeah. to 60, 59, 58, 50. No, don't do that. You'll freak yeah. people out. <laughs> yeah. So we want to give them a little bit of a nug of that. And it's like I was saying, eight days gives them that feeling it's a monumental challenge you know most endurance races and things of that nature are usually a day 24 hours a few of the longer ones out there but most aren't eight days they they step into a world totally it's all designed to be unknown uh so it just kind of happens to them you know drinking from that fire hose Uh, we give them skills home defense skills hand-to-hand skills those are just a byproduct though sorry um are a byproduct of us evaluating them so the whole time from flash to bang, once they hit the apply button, they go through an interview process and they're picked uh, or not to come out because some guys, I just know, I won't take their money because I know they won't make it. And I, don't, I only expect about five out of the 30 to make it through, but wow. I, I really don't want everyone to show up on day one and be gone. <laughs> like guys whose hearts isn't in it. Yeah, their hearts just aren't yeah. in it. They're... I, they won't show up physically ready or mentally ready. They haven't faced any adversity in their life, you know what I mean? And, and once the screws really get put to people, the, the test really begins, you know what I mean? And so like I was saying, we evaluate them. All the evolutions are evaluated, uh, personality uh, traits, things of that nature, leadership, followership, anything we can put down on paper. We got all the open source tests and uh, a bunch of proprietary stuff for ourselves. And then they're finished the eight days, and then we do... Just like in the military, we're calling it decompression, where for those who know, when you're in like those really stressful events and you come back out and you got to be reintegrated into the real world. Give them a day or two. Yeah. So with, you know, counseling, coaching, the thing is, though, this is the kind of the another bolted on portion of the process is it's about growth. So we talk specifically about post-traumatic growth uh, on our website. This is their their time to... reflect, do some uh, introspective looking and figure out, okay, well, what do I want to change? We're not saying everyone who shows up is going to want to change a lot of stuff, but we all, you know, well, some people, growth-minded people want to do little tweaks every now and then. Yep. And this is the time to do it. Once that difficulty, that trauma comes off and then we hand over like a package, uh, uh, basically we're calling it like 
post post uh, post process profile, which is a, basically a book of you, and you can go through that and be like, okay, well, I'm a little bit weak here. I'm strong here. I like this about myself. Like we question everything for them, and they question everything. So they can start thinking, okay, I want to go in this route, or I want to go in this route. What do I want to do with my life? What do I want to change? Do I? Or they just made it through something insanely difficult, and that's all it is for them. Go, going back to turning people down, that's it's just such an unorthodox business model that you it's have true. these dozens of people willing to give you money to push them to the limit, and you're going to turn them down and say, can't do it. So right from the website on is designed to be imposing. The website's black and white. We don't use, I know all about psychology. I know about the psychology of words and how to lure people into, you know, giving me their money. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not worried about that. Exa- yeah. It's exactly that. It's designed to make it almost difficult to get in. But that's part of that challenge, you know, facing fear, uh, pushing people out of their comfort zone. So right from the get-go, we start that. Then we put them through an interview, stressful interview, and then they can be chosen or not chosen. Uh, based on this and you know they could maybe reapply some guys no <laughs> just not going to do it you know we we, we want to the interview does another thing too we don't we don't want anyone with uh hostile intent showing up um any kind of malicious mindset or anything like that so we, we we're doing sense, some filtering you know what i mean we do police checks and things of that nature um <laughs> yeah what, can you talk about like what kind of events or what kind of experience? What do you plan on putting these poor souls through? <laughs> so there'll be things like phobia testing, you know, environmental ones, water, heights, confined spaces, public speaking, those uh, kind of the bigger ones at, done in a kind of fundamental approach where we look at you inside what makes the brain tick outside? How does the senses absorb their world and stuff? And then we design these challenges for them to go through. I, I unfortunately, I'm not going to give you specifics sure. because we want to maintain surprise. the integrity of the program. But it, there, there's then there's different portions. Some of it we want them to feel a little bit like a like a secret agent would kind of feel, or uh, uh, a soldier, or an SF soldier, or uh, a kidnapping victim of a terrorist. Uh, so Without have scenarios, yeah. The, so there's scenarios, and there, it's a heuristic approach to most of it. So they're kind of thrown into the scenario, and you know, sink or swim. They're observed personality, their behavior. Plus, when you leave that scenario, that environment, at the time, they won't be able to learn anything really in terms of what they just went through and why they went through. But they'll have changed a little bit, and that's the idea of it. it's a, a progressive linear uh eight days you, you know what i was curious of as i said i watched the video i'm going to link to it there is some weaponry going on in the video um gun laws in canada very different from gun laws in the u.s is that something you have to work around yeah well people might find this a surprise there are portions of our gun laws that are much stricter but there's a lot that's not canada has a lot more area to shoot people are uh, I believe, I've, I'm pretty sure I've read this, uh, per capita, Canada has more guns per person. Like, I wow. believe it. Yeah, it, it just, yeah. people don't think of it that way. You know, we, we don't have, knock on wood, as many gun incidents. You know, again, I feel bad for that. You know, obviously it's not the gun. I don't get the debate, but that's for another time. But yes, we, we have to work around that. Uh, but there's all the checks and balances in place for that to make sure it's all legit and good to go. Yeah, the guy. That's uh, one of their skills. You know, we'll do some uh, home defense style stuff, similar to CQB. It's all tailored to for the civilian experience. You know, the, those things that man might run into. Right, right. You know, it, it's more like zombie apocalypse levels, but it could be. You know what I mean? A, a breaking and entering is not a unlikely scenario. It's not impossible. Awesome. So, how much? How long do you think before you have this? off the ground and ready to start receiving people? Oh, well, we already got uh, a good chunk filled up. Oh, really? Yeah. So you have, like, da- like dates scheduled out? Yeah, so May awesome. 10th is uh, Serial 1. Wow. Uh, yeah, we're, it's, it's tracking along really well. When I, when I said slow burn earlier, I meant more like 
the vision of what it was going to right, be, right. like the metamorphosis. And of it'll it. evolve over time. Yeah. And, and after serial one, like we do, you know, an AAR, take a look at it and fix it and make it better if need be. That's super cool. Um, and the website, once again, the special forces experience.com, especially if, you know, we have a lot of Canadian listeners. So those guys up north who want to do this, who want to see if they, you know, could have gone through what you've gone through, an inkling of it, I guess we'll say, because as you said, you, you'll never know if you really could have become a special operations, uh, spe- a special operator, I should say. If, if I could but, just touch on one thing. Yeah. Sure. This is for right now, it's open to North America. So we have Americans signed up as well. Awesome. And it is being displayed around the world. We do have a lot of interest, but we're just kind of treading carefully right there, uh, right now. Um, but for now, yeah, uh, we have Americans already signed up and Canadians. And This also seems unlike any other program. I, I, I've heard of, you know, g- operators who open their own type of things. We've had some guys on the on the show who have done that. But this is, so, this is definitely different. It's unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, um, you know, uh, Travis, he runs that, um, what's it called? Adventure Combat Ops out in Las Vegas. Well, what he does, it's different. It's more like a, like a zombie apocalypse kind of scenario with airsoft guns. He's a former operator himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've been out to his uh, facility he has, and it's super cool. But, yeah, it's not what you're doing. It's different. Yeah, we, again, we bolted on a lot of pieces here. Yeah. We, we wanted to give that, uh, you know, that seal fit experience, something like that nature, you know, where guys want to go slug it out and, yeah. uh, uh, on that difficult side. So we got that. But then we started throwing in the psychology and the growth portion of it, and it just started expanding and expanding uh, w- what it became. And you're running this out in northern Canada, mm-hmm. I shudder to think what kind of torture you're going to expo- expose these people to. <laughs> I, the just, Canadian I just got to bring them into the bush and have them sit there, and it's going to suck. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's before mosquito season. I, I am kind, so <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they're it's austere to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be difficult. It's it's not equivalent to what we had to go through our barriers of entry. And it's different, right? Like SF selection is picking a man to do a certain role. This this isn't a selection. It's it's an experience, but with a quit function in it, which I think just turns a lot of guys away right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, SF selection for us is uh, four weeks. So you're there for a month. And I came right off of a deployment from to Iraq, mm. went rolled right into selection without like any train up for it or anything. I won't lie, it sucked. <laughs> no, it, you may smile afterwards. I'll, I'll, I'll laugh at it now, that yeah. years years later, but it sucked at the time. Yeah, it definitely pushes you to the brink, you know. Uh, even ours, ours is seven days. Like I was saying earlier, it's a different design. Right. But we get the same product at the end. It's just what, what can happen in seven days is pretty incredible. But let me ask you this, too, and this is going to be another difference, I'm sure. How many people started your selection course? Uh, roughly, it's the, it works out to be about the same finish rate, about 11%. We just, on the front end, before paperwork even gets uh, processed, there's a lot less people coming in. So we run usually three, four serials, depending on the year, all within a month, because they're only a week long, right? And uh, yeah, it's about the same thing once it's all said and done, about a 5 to 11%. How, how many guys do you think show up the first day? Uh, on, like, JTF2? Uh, it, oh, it's 30. Okay. My SFAS class, we started off, I would estimate, close to 400 people. Yeah. And the attrition, I'd say we graduated 20 25%, maybe. Nice. Um, same thing when I went through the ranger indoctrination program, I'd say we graduated maybe 20% and we started off with a couple hundred. So I think the psychologists do a really good job on the front end of ours when they're picking the dudes coming in. We're trying to, you guys have the means. You guys are a big military it's to indus- run. Industrial grade. It, 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 yeah. It's but you can look at people very closely, individually. Yeah, exactly. So we have that luxury, right? When you're smaller, uh, plus you guys are running multiple serials a year, I believe. Oh, uh, 
I think SFAS runs like 11 courses a year, yeah. I believe. So we front-end load kind of a bit of work on the, psych- the psychology side of the house. So you're not wasting time. You well, know? you never know, right? You don't know where he is. Paper can only do so much. Um, by that, I mean like the testing and all that, looking and observing on that uh, level. But yeah, the idea is kind of get it done a little quicker, a little less energy intensive. Plus, we don't, uh, we run it in-house. The operators have full control, kind of like quality control, if you will. Uh, but yeah. then you don't want to be taken away from your operator pool to run these kinds of things. You know what I mean? We got a laundry list of things to do, so. I like that. And, you know, it's a, a small professional force. Um, like some of the other countries I've looked at in the past, uh, Denmark is one, the Jager Corps small but highly professional counterterrorism unit, some of the other Scandinavian forces. I mean, it's a different approach, but um, it definitely has some advantages by comparison to the, the like, industrial-scale uh, <laughs> special operations that, uh, units that we run here in the United States. It's just the manpower difference. I mean, you guys are yeah. a million-plus strong, I, I assume, at this yeah. point. And the... Um, Oh, our military overall, it's yeah. pushing that. It's, it's pushing, pushing that, that you yeah. Know? It, like, so you got a huge pool. Of, and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, do the SEALs still take from the civilian side? Uh, you can sign up specifically to go to BUDS. So I'm not sure exactly what the pipeline is right now. Maybe they go to Navy basic training. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, but basically, yeah, they're coming off the street. So you guys entice the guy off the street a little bit more. I, Special I, Forces does that, too. With the x-ray program yeah. or something like that? I, I'm not familiar with all that. But and, and, and Rangers. What am I talking about? So, yeah. yeah which I think should be done because what happens is people are like, oh, I don't want to do the grunt side of the house. You know what I mean? And, and I get that. If you uh, think you're going to have to be a cook for four years before you get to apply. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, when you know what the end result you want is. I mean, sometimes the experience on the front end doesn't hurt. Because what you're about to encounter is difficult, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's different, but um, I don't know. W- one of our soft truths uh, that we have is that you know special operations can't be mass produced. But I think we've violated that so many times during the last uh, 17 years. Um, and I mean, it's for you know wartime expediency, but there are consequences for that. Yeah, well. Having Afghanistan and Iraq spark up at the same time in yeah. the early 2000s really pushed those soft models to the test, right? Where those were the dudes you, that got the work done. Okay, we need more of those dudes. How, well, okay, well, it's supposed to be quality and not mass produce. Well, no, no, we need, we need to get yeah, this going, yeah. you know? A policy decision has been made here, folks. <laughs> like, yeah. Turn yeah, them out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they're still dealing with that, um, you know, in the U.S. military and uh, down at the uh, Special Forces Qualification Course. They're always trying to, like, jigger with things a little bit, tweak them and try to, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like they're trying to reinvent the wheel to some extent. But, you know, I'm out of the military, so those guys have to figure Not that out now. Like I was saying, I think the meat grinder usually turns out very similar product. It's just about time. You know, yeah, that, I think that would be the big assessment. Like you're saying, yours takes uh, four weeks. The selection, course the selection does, course, yeah. four weeks. That's a lot of manpower. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of money. You know, divide, uh, dedicated to that. Yeah, and the special warfare center in school at Fort Bragg. I mean, that is like a huge unit and institution. That's a big. That's just a huge beast in of itself. Yeah, yeah. Where we're able to keep it a little bit lighter, a little more hands on. It, it does eat away from other time, but. Uh, yeah, it seems to be working for us. So it's cool. Keep it going. I had a question because of the fact that you're the you know first guy we've had on from your particular background. It's almost the most cliche question that we get at the website or the you know podcast is they'll ask Jack, you you know, like I'm I'm 16 years old, I want to be an Army Ranger. What you know, what should I expect? Um, what quality should I have? Or they'll email Brandon, you know, I want to be a SEAL. So I guess for, and there, there definitely are, the kids listening who are like 15, 16, they want to do what you did. What, what do you think that they need to have, like physically, mentally? I think you need to push out of your comfort zone a lot to be able, so that later on you can operate uh, out of your comfort zone. Your body will adapt to that. You know what I mean? The the way your your cortisol levels spike and all that, you can start training that. Your 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 genes hold a bit of your character, 
in them, but you need to start, uh, you know, like I say, get out of that comfort zone, find adversity. Like when I say adversity, it can be, uh, difficult runs, uh, obstacle courses, you know, climbing the mountain, like the, whatever you want to do that pushes you physically and mentally out of your comfort zone so that when the suck of selection starts, you're like, I'm out of my comfort zone all the time. You know what I mean? So maybe you didn't show up physically ready to go. That's on you, but at least you're not, you know, hair on fire. Like what's going on? You know, your, your adrenaline system's just dumping and you just head spinning. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, push outside your comfort zone, whatever it is. When you feel into that fear, you know what I mean? That gut reaction you get where you're like, that seems uncomfortable, you know, instead of shying away from those experiences, go for it. I bet you the the surprise element is, is quite a bit different too, because these kids could read tons of books about what ranger selection is like, what buds is like, as you said, there's not really books about going through, you know, and becoming an operator in JTF too. Yeah. And it's done for that exact reason. You know what I mean? Uh, I could sit here and say, yeah, it's going to have some shock and awe. And, <laughs> you know, you could try to prep for that. But you, when you don't know what's going on, it, it does something really profound to the mind. Because the mind fills in its own gaps, you know what I mean? When it doesn't know, we just start filling that void with our own thoughts and our own culture. And Well... What you what you're talking about? It sounds really stupid on one hand that the the like using the unknown as a selection process. But I saw it when I was in selection myself. Is that there are guys who cannot handle just sitting in the barracks, and they don't know what the next event is, and they'll quit. And, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is that their heads racing? You know, they're yeah. thinking something. They're they're like self selecting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's a big part of it. You know? There was one, I know I've told this story before too, but I, I mean, again, it sounds stupid, but you can understand why they use it as a selection tool. They got us used to doing two events a day. Uh, but then one night they drug us out of bed. It was like two in the morning for a third event. And we get out there and they say, be out here this time, this uniform, this much in your rucksack with your packing list, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they come out just like every other time they say, okay, it's a ruck march for an undetermined time for an undetermined distance. Follow the cones. Go. Yeah. Like, okay. Start walking. They, all we did was walk around the compound camp McCall back over to where the little theater is. There's a field out front. Had it, so we walked a, a, a grand total of, you know, 800 meters. They had us ground our rucksacks and they, they had us take one item out of our rucksack that was on our packing list is your running shoes. Hold them up and they'd see if you have them. Oh, it's okay. You have it. Okay. Pack it back up. Okay. You're done for the night. Go back. I, like a couple of people quit right there. This can't take it anymore. Yeah. And that sounds ridiculous to, I think people on the outside because they, they think that selection is like, uh, the guy quitting during like log PT. Like I can't take it anymore. It's just too physically strenuous, but no, it's the, the unknown yeah, was- and the, what the hell is going on. And that really fucks with people. But I think it's a valid selection tool because you know, you've been deployed. How many times have you been deployed and like you're on standby for a mission, then it just gets shut down or you're out on an operation and what you expected to happen, what you expected to see when you got off the helicopter was not what was there. Yeah, The old standby to standby and it's going to change. So yeah, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> yeah. So if you psychologically can't handle that kind of thing, then you have really no business being in a special operations True. unit. Yeah. And you got to keep that sense of humor with you too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause everyone's going through that same shit, you know, and, as you know, this, this can go on for weeks. Yeah. Okay, on the bus, off the bus, on the bus. Yeah. Okay, we're moving yeah. over here. We're doing, and there's no routine. There's no norm. There's, you know, you and your boys, uh, and you bring your skills, you know, your drills and skills, but everything else is almost out of your control. The enemy, he has his say of what's going to happen. You know, we, we do our best to get good in, but it's, it's just all about the unknown. You prep a little bit. That's why we always say working off principles and not drills so much because, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. Or maybe you're just at a staging ground for a week waiting for the green light for a mission to happen. Like, you, you can't have an assaulter just stand up and quit. Like, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. And I, I quit. Like, no, wait a second. You're, you're a, an important member of this team, and it can't function without, uh, without you. You know, so I think that's why it's important to put those sorts of things into the selection process. Yeah, I, I agree 100% on that. Uh, like, just when you even... 
I don't know, what's something kind of normal in normal life where it just changes the routine a little bit in people's lives and they're like, they become all disheveled. You like know if, your I mean? kid, if your kid gets sick and you have to cancel your dinner plans because yeah. you got to go home and take care of your kid. Yeah, something like yeah. that, you know, and a little spike of, uh, uh, you know, of anxiety. And, but for people listening, picture holding that anxiety for a week, two weeks. Right, you know right. what I mean? Like you mentioned the guys on D-Day, you know, and they're getting stop dropped. Like the, the psychological toll that can have on, yeah. on someone. Well, you know, in the soft, that's, that's what we're dealing with all the time. You'd, you never know where your deployments really are. Every now and then you get the luxury of, uh, you know, you're watching something unfold and then, okay, okay, well, I know where I'm heading there and, you know, you're doing all your workups, yada, 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 but that's not how it usually works. I mean, I don't know offhand, but I mean, the, the number of objectives that I was on where we knew 100% the bad guy was there. I think that like never happened. <laughs> I don't think we ever knew a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes there's a flip of coin. Like, yeah. I, I, I think our int has gotten much better. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we were yeah. talking about the two major theaters of war have just pushed the envelope on what we can do. So we're closer, but yeah, a hundred percent. You just don't know. Oh, once right. again, the website is the special forces experience.com. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what we're up to. And then I have an email. that's a little bit of a correction from a listener. Uh, so I'll get to that, but, uh, be sure to check out crate club that long anticipated NFW watch. It's here. I know you have it. You're yeah. digging it. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, so that's in the next, uh, premium tier crate or the current premium tier crate. I should say, uh, we have different tiers of membership as, as I'm mentioning, uh, depending on how prepared you want to be and uh, gift options are available as well. Scott Whitner and the guys from the loadout room are currently working on bringing you 100% custom products for the crate club in 2019, which is right around the corner. It's pretty crazy. Uh, everything from sunglass cases to EDC bags and other manly products. This works in what he was saying. It's a club for men by men. Uh, you can check out, check out all of that at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. If you're a dog owner, check this out. You're going to love this. We've partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog each month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced and all natural, and they not only promote a healthy diet, but also an active lifestyle with your dog. So it doesn't matter what type of dog you have. You could have a pit bull. You could have a chihuahua. Uh, it's just what you're looking for. You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog is going to love it as well, of course. And that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Check it out. Um, we also, of course, want to mention have the Spec Ops channel. That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. Uh, our premiere show, Training Cell. If, if you're into what we've been talking about here, you're going to dig Training Cell if you haven't checked it out already. It's everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, and jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and a lot more, all with operators. Um, and you can watch all that at Spec Ops Channel dot com specopschannel.com 50% off your membership right now that's only $4.99 a month and of course we also have the software radio app now uh, which is pretty cool so you can check that out whether you're on an iPhone or an Android um, with that I guess we'll wrap this up with this question or not really question correction really for something that you said that someone wanted to mention uh, this is from Greg hey you guys rock podcast is awesome as usual Please tell Jack that Yankee White was a nickname for the background investigation process for people in the White House. Yankee White had nothing to do with communications. Jack might be thinking about the Mystic Star Network. Uh, keep up the great work on the podcast. So I'm actually not even sure when that was mentioned, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I do remember mentioning it, but um, I appreciate the email. I'll, I'll go back and take a look for myself, see... Uh... Maybe I need to tighten my shot group. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, because I've gotten plenty of corrections that I've read on the air. It's like we just do this as, as you can see, like we have all this research in front of us. So you're bound to get something wrong. I know I have. So no, I'll, I'll go back and take a look at it for sure. And we're definitely not uh, people who are like afraid to say, hey, we got something wrong, you know, and, and I like when the listeners point that stuff out. Yeah. We like to stay as accurate as possible. Um, so I guess with that, man, as I said, check out the website, the special forces experience dot com. And as you said, you don't need to be um, in Canada. You could be in America as well, and you're accepting guys from America right now. 
Yep, you don't have to show up with any previous knowledge, skills, anything like that. Just have to be a man. That's awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much for coming by. And uh, anytime you come through the city or even if you want to call in, let us know, man. I appreciate it, guys. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. We'll do this again. Uh, And we'll have a new episode up on Wednesday. Uh, I believe we have Wilkow coming in studio. I'm looking at the... Yeah, I think think you're right. Yeah, which should be great because he's got a... um, He's got a Veterans Day event at Emmett O'Looney's, which is almost like our flagship bar at this point. You go there, see your book on the wall and Brandon's book and everybody. So good stuff. Thanks for coming in, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. been listening to soft rep radio new episodes up every wednesday and friday follow the show on instagram and twitter at soft rep radio